This is David Tarkington, pastor of First Baptist Church of Orange Park and the First Family Network. You are listening to the teaching ministry of our church. Thank you for downloading this sermon. If you have any questions about the church, go to firstfam.org or call us at 904-264-2351. You know, we have a a mission statement. We've been declaring it, been reading it, posting it everywhere over the last few months. That, That statement is there, but that statement... Uh, is, is a part of a value statement, a vision statement that is, is smaller, that is more succinct. And, and not many of you are aware of that vision of what we are focusing upon, what we seek to do. And, and just to declare that uh, verbally today to make sure you understand and hear this, to know who we are at First Baptist Church, we are a family equipped to glorify God by making disciples within redemptive communities. And those communities are in the gatherings such as this, as in those life group gatherings, the home Bible studies that we'll be launching, and even those Zoom meeting Bible studies, those gatherings as we come together. Now we're gonna do something a bit different today. It may not sound quite uh, as full online, but in the room, uh, we're gonna be reading Psalm 100. And I know not everybody with us here today is likely, maybe it may not be in the same translation that I'm using, I'm using the English Standard Version. If you have a copy of that, then that's where you can read from if you'd like. I also am going to have it on the screen, but what makes it a little different today is I would like for us to read this. It's only five verses. I would like for us to read it aloud together. And so uh, it's going to be on the screen, so, so get your glasses situated. That's what I have to do. And um, I'll tell you what, I, I know it, it, if you're, let's do, let's just stand together as we read the Word of God together. And if you're at home, just, just put the recliner part of the lazy boy down and stand up for just a moment. And we're going to have, now, that, now it's real stressful on the guys running the computer. They've got to make sure they've got it, but we're good. Read this with me, if you will. Well, it's a psalm for giving thanks. That's a title, but we're going to start with make a joyful noise. So here we go. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Thank you. Amen. You can be seated. This is a, a powerful passage, right? It's just stuck right in the middle of the Bible. The book of Psalms of the Old Testament, of course, we know that, is the, the, uh, the Hebrew songbook. And that's what we are reading from today. We, we have been, over the last few weeks, looking at different aspects, different elements of the church that helps define us as healthy Christians or as a healthy church. It's not an all-encompassing list, but it is something that we have been looking at since the beginning of this year. Now, I know that those of you who are a lot more diligent and you, you listen to your spouses more than I do, you go to the doctors probably every year, right? You just do an annual checkup. Uh, every year, I kind of on the leap year journey, so every four to five, if I can remember that. But nevertheless, when you go to the doctor just for a checkup, there, unless there's something going on, right? I mean, if they're trying to discern if there's something happening there in your body that they need to, to treatment on, if it's just that annual checkup, usually you already know what the doctor's going to tell you before you leave, right? They're going to, at some point, they're going to, you know, if all your vital signs seem to be in a proper place, they're going to just encourage you to eat right, 
which means don't eat what you were eating. Eat healthier, eat healthier food, and uh, that, you know, cut down on the hamburgers and the pizza and all of that. They might tell you to exercise, so you, you might be encouraged to do that. Some of you may be told to, oh, look at that. Can you hear me? All right, we're good? Shelvin, why are you up there hitting that button? No, I think I've, I'm still a little bit hot. I don't know what, what, and I'm just a loud guy, so I don't want to do this to everyone. I'll whisper. Make you lean in. Now, here we go. So when you go to the doctor, and they might tell you to, hey, you know, uh, you might need to sleep more than three hours a night. You know, they might give you those kind of things. And usually it's, it, it's things you already know. And so you walk away and you got your clean bill of health. Maybe you have your prescriptions ready. They've been renewed or whatever it might be. And then you go back the next year. And I don't know if the doctors will ask you this, but they might ask you something like, well, did you do what I told you? Did you eat right? Did you change your, your, your lifestyle? And if you did, then it might show up. If you didn't, it might show up. So when we're talking about what it means to be the healthy church, it's more than what it means for us as an organization to be healthy. It's not what it means for us as a building to be healthy. It's, it's what it means for us as individual Christians who are a covenant member of the church. What does it mean to be healthy in your life? For we can be a healthy church if the members are healthy. And everything we've talked about this year, we talked about the the power of prayer and that a healthy church will pray expectantly. We talked about the fact that, that as best we can, we need to gather intentionally. We do not need to forsake the gathering of the believers. We, whether, whether that's online or in person at this juncture, we need to do that. We, we talked about some other aspects. Last week, I talked about giving generously. That, that, was, a, that was a little bit of a uh, kind of a, 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 a fun one to talk about. Let me just say, go ahead and say thank you. To, to, I mean, I got, a, I got quite a few comments last week, I, you know, I'm a, and, and I was a little anxious to click the open the email button, because the subject is your sermon on tithing, but every one of you, the response, the response has been nothing but encouraging, words like, you're addressing something that we must address on a regular basis, thank you. I am reevaluating my own giving patterns to ensure that I am giving with graciousness as God has given us. And, 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 and it's, not a, it's not a guilt trip. It's just so encouraging. To, some folks have said, you know, I, I stopped, but now I'm giving again. You know, it's just thank you for, for trusting God with that. Mrs. Burke Gates, our financial secretary, she didn't give me any names, but she said, hey, we had some gifts on Monday from active church members who haven't given in a while. So I don't know who that is, and I don't know what's going on in your life, but thank you for trusting God in the midst of all that. It, it, it is a sign of a healthy relationship with the Lord, but it's not the only sign. Today we're talking about what it means to serve gladly, and that's why we read from Psalm 100. In this Hebrew psalm book, this culmination here, this section, Psalm 100, is a culmination of a section of the psalms called the Kingship Hymns. It's, it's the hymns that they would sing that declare the kingship and the lordship of God himself. And in this psalm here, it is an exuberant, I, I found that as a definition in one of the commentaries, an exuberant call to worship for the entire earth, for Jews and Gentiles alike. That all creation may glorify God, for he is creator, sustainer, redeemer, 
and King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it says, I just I went back to that, exuberant call to worship. I know the word exuberant is not one that's unfamiliar to us, but I will say it's likely a word you don't use in your, your everyday language. Exuberant. There's, there's something that, that comes from that, exuberance. Now, Charles Spurgeon, the, who was known or is known as the Prince of Preachers, you know, he pastored the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London during the 1800s, and of course he is no longer alive, but his, his writings and his sermons are continuing to impact the, the Christians and the church of, uh, that is in existence even today. He wrote this through one of his writings regarding Psalm 100. I found it to be very interesting and encouraging today. Psalm 100 is the invitation to worship. It's an invitation to worship here given not as a melancholy one, not as, or, but as one through adoration, but not as a funeral dirge, but a cheery, gladsome exhortation as though it were bidden to a marriage feast. I don't know what, what Spurgeon was going through in his church at that point, but I think he was facing some of what every pastor in every church, every Christian has experienced at some level. No one wants every Sunday morning to feel like you're at a funeral. There is a point of celebration of recognizing that, that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is still on the throne. And, and it, with all the pressures and that which overwhelms us in our daily lives and that which we are going through, we can rest in the assurance that God is not taken by surprise. And when we come to worship him, we can actually, you have permission to sing with exuberance, to worship him through that. The glory of God requires the praise of his people. The praise of his people, unless there is something medically or something that, that, that is uh, disabling an individual from using their voice, the praise of God's people is vocal. The praise of God's people is expressive, it's clear, it's biblical, and not hypocritical. The praise of God's people, of you and I, must be revealed as the words of holiness and honor that match our life calling. Years ago, the, uh, the Christian band Casting Crowns, you may be familiar with them. Mark Hall is the founder and, and writer of most of the songs, the lead singer of, of Casting Crowns. And, and I really enjoy their music. I enjoy Mark's ministry. Mark, is, uh, I met him as a, as a youth pastor. He was serving as a youth pastor in Daytona at the time, and he's worked at the camps that we used to take our students to. And, and Casting Crowns uh, was, was the youth band. Their Wednesday night youth band, that's, that's pretty amazing, Grammy award-winning and Dove award-winning band. But, um, and Mark was a student, he's a graduate of Baptist College of Florida, and uh, so, so there's some connections there, but the thing about Mark is he's still a staff member, still a pastor on staff serving at a church in Georgia. That's why often you'll never see Casting Crowns doing concerts on the Lord's Day because of the, the commitment they have to their local church. But one of the songs Casting Crowns had a number of years ago that, that I guess was a radio hit in Christian radio, and, and, and I've heard choirs sing it, you know, as you transition contemporary music to a choral arrangement and that, and I've heard praise teams sing it. And it's a song, Life Song. Now, I've got to be honest, when I first saw the title Life Song and first heard the song Life Song, you may have heard it, you may not. I first thought, well, that's, that's weird. I don't even get it. What is that? Life Song. That's a made-up word, Life Song. Uh, now, now, some of you are offended that I thought it was a weird name, but it's weird until you know what he's talking about. And as I listened to the song and read the lyrics, and you kind of get the gist of what Mark was saying and that, and that Casting Crowns was saying is, is that we offer worship to the Lord through our singing, 
But our worship to God does not end when the last note on the guitar is played or when the last note on the keyboard is hit. The worship of our Lord as children of God, as followers of his, as image bearers of God, our worship is expressed not just in the singing, but absolutely in the singing, but it continues on after the music is over through our lives. How we live on Monday is an act of worship to our Lord. How we act on Thursday is an act of worship to our Lord. Everything we have been looking at in these aspects of what it means to be a healthy church through prayer, through, through uh, participation, through provision. How's that? Three Ps, very Baptist of me. Did you get that? We pray, we participate, we, we provide resources. We do all of that and more, and it's an act of worship. That is our life song. The healthy, local body of believers, the healthy church is made up of healthy Christians who worship well, but not just on the Lord's day during the time of singing, but every day through how we live our lives. The one aspect that I want to focus upon today, and as I told you, the healthy church series that we're doing is not all-encompassing of everything that makes us healthy, but just some vital things. And today we're talking about the healthy church and the healthy church that serves gladly. Now our mission statement that many of our, our children are filling out and have on their, their children's program, it's on our website, it's everywhere that we send emails out. It says this very clear, First Baptist Church exists to glorify God by surrendering fully to the Lordship or to his Lordship and joining him in his work while living as authentic joyful believers. We join him in his work. And it takes some discernment to determine where he is at work so that we may join him. Some of you have been Baptists long enough to remember that time when we had a Bible study, not just here, but in just about every Baptist church and even non-denominational and other churches were doing it as well. God used that resource in such a way, many, many people signed up, took the course, went 13 weeks, found a small group, went through a study by a brother named Henry Blackaby, and the book was called Experiencing God. I've had some friends say, hey, is it better for me just to buy the book, Experiencing God, or to get the workbook? And the answer is the workbook, because you need to work through this with another brother or sister. Now, that's an old book now. Henry's now with the Lord. I mean, it, it, he, but God used that in such amazing ways. And one of the realities that, that God used in that book to really just kind of push us and push me to a better understanding of my walk with the Lord was, as Christians, we need to dis determine or discern or discover where God is at work and then join him where our default has been the other way around for decades let's create another something and then ask God to bless it or or and this is we're real good at this find something that people like and like doing outside in the, in the in the real world and let's Christianize it and make a Christian version whether it's a Christian basketball league or it's a Christian sports league or a Christian concert, that's all good, but it might just be a degree off of what we should have been doing, discovering where God is already at work and joining him there. That's why we partnered with uh, the young ladies, Shaquan and Kenyatta, with the food distribution. That's why we're not recreating the wheel and say, let's start our own food distribution. No, let's go ahead and say, what is God already using and who is he already using and let's just come alongside and let's see what God may do. Joining God in his work is key. Now, when we talk about doing stuff and joining in his work and doing things, some people already are a little bit, hey, I don't know if I like where we're headed today. 
The sad fact is that back in the 90s, we, we look at 97 as kind of a pinnacle moment, but even prior to that, the consumer mentality in American Christianity was growing exponentially. Consumer mentality, you know, I'll pick a church that provides for me. I'll pick a church that gives me the products that I desire. It's, it's, you're a consumer. That's, that, that we all are. And, and what we did is we baptized it, and we made it a Christian thing, but it's not. But in that consumer mentality that began to grow, far too many, we just know this is true, covenant members of local bodies of churches and Christians that, that, are, that are following the Lord actually convinced themselves that they were being obedient to the call of Christ solely by giving God the privilege of having them show up on Sunday for an hour. Can I just say that the presence for an hour on the Lord's Day in the corporate worship is necessary and needful, but God is not impressed. And that does not, where the period at the end of the sentence ends, that is not the end of our obedience. You need to look at the gathering on Sunday as, hey, welcome back to headquarters. Let's get our latest, latest report or our latest update and our newest marching orders, and let's hit the mission field as soon as 12 o'clock hits, and let's continue serving it through our life song. And so the consumer mentality puts church in a box. It's an hour. I'll give God that. The healthy church and the healthy Christian realizes God doesn't want a percentage. He wants it all. All of me. But, but here's the thing that, that we've been able to do to just to help you understand this. Where you already are in your unique journey of life is where God desires to use you for his glory. I've talked to folks that, well, you know, I coach at the YMCA. I said, good, don't quit. Should I quit coaching at the Y and go coach at some Christian league? No. Why would you? When that's where everybody is. Well, unless your job, I mean, and I know you've got to have caveats, okay? So if you're, like, selling illegal drugs, yeah, quit your job, right? <laughs> if you work in an industry that is demeaning, yeah, quit that, find something. But if you're, like, Joe employee at some corporate entity that isn't evil, it's the old age-old question, where do you put lights? You put them in dark places, and if all the lights just gather together to light one another up, we may be missing the call that God has for us as individuals. Public school teachers, teach. Private school teachers, teach. Homeschool teachers, teach, and then send your kid to the principal, which would be you as well, in case you haven't put that together. I mean, just, but be light where God has you and join him in that work but but let me just help you with something that sometimes people get all bent out of shape about is that are you are you teaching a works theology no not at all this is not works theology i know and you should know that we are not saved by our works there is nothing we bring to the table for our salvation god christ did everything he did all the heavy lifting he did all the dying he did all the resurrecting he did it all for the glory of the Father and for our good. It is Christ who did this, and the Scripture makes it clear. But understand that the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God through the writings of James and other New Testament writers make it also clear that as Christians, there is something we must be doing. It is not our works that save us, but it is due to our salvation that we will work in such a way to bring Him glory. If you look at James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, but be doers of the word, not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
Our salvation is not secured by what we do, for it was Christ who did it all. Yet our salvation is revealed in what we do and how we do the work God has called us to. This is not works theology. This is a faith-founded understanding that a redeemed heart, a renewed heart, a transformed individual is not meant to remain a spectator of the work of God, but is invited into the greatest story and grandest story that has ever existed. So why do we serve? For a lot of reasons. But we serve in certain ways that are very unique as well. First thing we need to understand is we, must, we serve with gladness. We cannot serve the Lord begrudgingly. We cannot serve faithfully with an attitude. As I write down my notes for my sermon, it really hurts when I'm just basically preaching to myself and realize that there have been far too many times I've served with an attitude. And I know you've not, but I have, so I'm just preaching to me. Don't get me wrong, some days this is harder than others, obviously. It's frustrating and maybe in the church culture, it's a little bit frustrating. You know, you've been, you've been, the Holy Spirit has kind of pricked your heart. He's kind of awakened you to, to serve the Lord somewhere. And you're not even sure where, but then there's an opportunity in the church. And you sign up and you presume everybody else in your church, in your life group, in your small group, in your gathering, and even in your family is excited by, about the Lord as you are. And so you sign up to, let's do whatever this is that we're doing. Let's do it well. And then you show up and you look around and you're like, I guess I'm the only one that signed up. Anybody ever been there? Everybody amended it in the big room, but when it became the time to get up in the morning to go do it, they didn't all show up, and you get frustrated. And I don't know if this is something you deal with, but in our own little household, sometimes we, my wife and I, just confessing some personal sin, we get frustrated that everybody on the planet doesn't behave according to our will. I didn't know, maybe it's just us, I guess. And sometimes that conversation is, I don't behave according to her will. So, and I'm sure it's vice versa, but listen. The service of the child of God within and through the local body, the church, is not meant to be a lone ranger endeavor. Now, I mentioned that this morning, and then it hit me that not every generation gets this. I'm old enough to remember a Lone Ranger, and I'm not talking, but I guess Disney did that really bad movie, so some of you might get it. Basically, what we're saying is, as a Christian, there's too many one another's in the New Testament for us to think we need to do it on our own. If you've convinced yourself, well, if I, if I want it done right, I got to do it, well, confess your sin before the Lord, because that's not a godly statement. There's too many one another's to do everything on your own, and if you do everything on your own, eventually you'll quit because you'll be frustrated. And everything turns into nothing. And then you're just bitter. Sadly, because some of us have this mindset of, well, I know somebody ought to do that, and I'm, somebody should do that, whatever that is. Volunteer with kids, volunteer with preschoolers, serve as a greeter. I mentioned that this morning. We had some volunteers, and I'm just, you know, shocked. Here's the deal. I know we, we don't really have our ushers serving right now. I know we have our men who have served for years, and you still do faithfully, but we're not passing offering plates, and we don't have bulletins to hand out. So ushers are just basically, hey, how you doing? But we do need greeters, and, 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 and let me just go ahead and declare a greeter is not an office of the church. Therefore, anybody can do it. Let me, let me train you how to do it. Here it is. Hey, how you doing? There it is. If you can do that with a smile behind your mask, you can be a greeter. Men, women, 
families, children. Now, church starts at 1045, so, you know, eh. we have two doors that people come through primarily, the front door and the side door. It's not that hard. Hey, how you doing? No, I'm not touching you. That's all you got to do. Welcome to the gathering this morning. Welcome. So we do need more greeters. We just need, and we need people greeting people in the parking lot. I know it's kind of weird, but let me just tell you, if the only people doing greeting in the front foyer or here are paid staff members, wouldn't you rather be greeted by somebody that's not paid to say hello? I would. I'd rather be greeted and welcomed by somebody who is a faithful member of the body that's just glad they're not the only ones that showed up. That would be an incredible moment. Here's another job. We didn't have this job before, but now we have between services the COVID germ killing team. So between services, if you want to eradicate germs, we have to kind of clean this building up and get it ready. And you're like, I don't know if I'm qualified for that. I bet you are. I, I really do. I think you're as qualified as anybody else trying to take care of it nowadays. So we got that job too. And there's others, preschoolers, children, welcome team, choir member, teacher, praise team, band, generous donor, whatever you can think of. But sometimes when we feel like we're the only ones doing anything, we get frustrated and we quit. And I know you need to feel appreciated. I just say we sometimes mess up on that too. No one said thanks to me. Well, thanks. You got one. I don't even know what you did, but thank you. And I hope you keep doing it if it's things we want done. But let me ask you this. We're going to do a little show of hands so you at home can play this game too. Show of hands. This is going to get real nervous, nerve-wracking right here. Here it is. By a show of hands, is there anybody in the room that has ever been disappointed in somebody else? Anybody? 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 Yeah. Now, don't look at them. No. No. It's just, a st- it's just raise your hands and put it down. Okay. It happens everywhere. It happens all the time. When others do not do what we think they should, we fall into despair and sometimes frustration and anger. But we serve the Lord with gladness within and through his church. We sometimes, we sometimes need other people locking arms with us in our service to help remind us we should be glad. You remember the guy in the New Testament named Barnabas? That wasn't his name. That's a nickname. It meant son of encouragement. And I know at some point Barnabas, is, he, he arrives on the scene in the New Testament, and Barnabas is the guy that everybody needs to, wants to know a Barnabas. And, and some, of, some of you get to be a Barnabas to someone else, so I guess we all should be. But Barnabas is that guy that he's going to, he walks in the room, and you feel better that you just, you're still alive and you got to see him. I mean, there's the opposite of Barnabas's too, but this guy is who you want. And I don't think it's by any accident, in fact, I know it's no accident, that God put Barnabas with Paul for a season of work in the mission journey. Now, I don't know this necessarily, but I know that Barnabas has partnered with Paul for a reason, and maybe, just maybe, in those moments of jail time and of being beaten and getting bit by a snake and all those fun things that Paul went through, that, that part of the journey when Barnabas was still kind of hanging out with him, maybe Bar- got, Paul just needed to know he wasn't on his own, and maybe Paul just needed a guy like Barnabas who always saw the glass half full, perhaps, but was, was not a Pollyanna, but he understood the realities. And maybe Barnabas is that guy, and I know it's a lot of conjecture right here, so don't go too deep with this, but, but Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning he grew up singing the hymns that we, we started with, Psalm 100. And likely Barnabas knew the words to that as well. So at some point, don't you need a brother or a sister to come alongside and say, hey, we're going to serve the Lord with gladness. It's all good. God's got this. Yeah, but I'm just so overwhelmed. But right now, it's all good. God's got this. 
Well, I'm worried about tomorrow, but right now, serve the Lord with gladness. Our God is still king. I think God provided Barnabas for Paul and for the church, and I think he provides us a Barnabas when we need it, and I think sometimes he expects us to be the Barnabas because it's so much better to work alongside someone else serving the Lord with gladness. Serve God with gladness and recognize that in serving God, he does and will provide that gladness. And I know we don't rely on feelings, but God gave us feelings. And can I just say, I like to feel glad and I like to feel happy much better than I, li than I like to feel sad and in despair. So I know we're not an emotion-driven church in that regard, but I also know that God created these feelings for his glory. And we can serve him with gladness if we're really serving him and not serving ourselves. The second thing we need to do is serve him with genuineness. We need to understand that gladness leads to genuineness. What do I mean by this? In case you forgot, the enemy of God hates the church and he hates God and he hates God's image bearers and he hates marriage. That's why marriage is so hard from the moment of the I do. He hates, hates, hates anything that honors God and, worship, and, and brings him glory. From the moment in the Garden of Eden, he hated that even prior to that. And he went after the image bearers and he tempted them in ways to lead us away from authentic love and authentic worship. Let me ask you, have you ever met a fake person? I'm not talking about some android or something. I'm talking about, I mean, they're really a person, but they're fake. They're fake. What I mean is this. They're friendly, but you know they really don't like you. All right, it's just like a show. It's, it's like, hey, how, how you doing? How you doing? They're fake in their friendliness. They're sincere to your face, but they don't really care to tell you the truth. They'll as easily tell you a lie as a truth because it doesn't matter to them. Or maybe they're, they're fake in their concern. In other words, they say, hey, how you doing? But they're gone before you answer because they don't care how you're doing. It's just a word you say. Or they'll look at you like, hmm, yeah, hmm, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, which is the new online way of saying, I don't really care. I don't know if you knew that, so be careful if you type thoughts and prayers. You can type prayers and thoughts, that's better. But it's become a joke. And I'm saying all of us understand we've met those people. They don't care for you. They don't care for others. They don't care for God. They care for one, themselves. But they play a good game. Joining God in his work, though, can't be faked. There may be days you just do not want to do that which God has commissioned and called you to do. But I was listening, I was listening to the Bible this morning as I was driving in. You know, I'm reading my daily Bible reading, but you know, I figured, hey, I'll just let the little British guy read it on the, the computer for me. So he read it to me this morning out of Romans 11, Romans 11 and 12. And, and one thing that was said was that God's calling doesn't expire God's commissioning doesn't expire but there may be days you don't want to do what God has called and commissioned you to do but I encourage you to just press on press into it I don't doubt that there are many that showed up yesterday morning for the food distribution that were pretty excited about it about three weeks ago until yesterday morning when their alarm went off on that Saturday and it's so much easier to say, well, they probably don't need me. I mean, I know I said I would show up, but someone else can do it. And that's just what I said. I don't know what everyone else was saying. 
But sometimes you've got to push through that. Because once you get to where you are needed to be, you recognize how much God is blessing you. And then you scratch your head and go, why did I want to miss this? Press on. God understands that motivation may be difficult, but he's also awaiting a great, offering a great gift through our obedience to his calling. So serve the Lord with gladness within his church and serve the Lord with genuineness. And lastly, serve the Lord with gratefulness. What a privilege to serve God and join him in his work. Is that the most preacher phrase I've ever said right there? Doesn't that sound like something a preacher would say? But it's more than a cliche, more than a tweet. It's a true statement. Think about it. The creator of the universe has made, well, he made everything just by speaking it into existence. And then he made a way for those he created in his image who rebelled against him to come back to him and be rescued and redeemed and saved. And that's you and I through our salvation moment through Jesus Christ. But he, in that, he also made a way for us who have rebelled against him to not just join, in him, join with him so we can be spectators of what he is doing, not just to join so we can sit and watch, but to join so we can be co-heirs with Christ, co-laborers with Christ for the work that God has called for us to do. What a privilege to be a part of something that matters more than us. Everybody wants to die with a legacy. I mean, I've just heard people, they want, I'd like to leave a legacy. That's the legacy. To get in on that story that matters more than anything else. You know, a hundred years from now, no one's going to be quoting us like we quote Charles Spurgeon, likely. But we can be, know that we are living our lives in such a way to join in the story that will be spoken of for eternity. I'm going to ask our band to make their way back up, and as they're doing so, in conclusion, we've got some things to do. We've got some things to think about. So if you go to the doctor and, 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 and he gives you that, that prognosis and he says, here's what I want you to do, and this is what you ought to exercise, you ought to eat better, you ought to do this, that, and the other. I mean, it, he tells us these things, or she tells us these things, so that we can be healthier, Right? And then there's an expectation, and I know maybe, it's, it's, maybe, maybe it shouldn't be, but there's an expectation that we're actually going to do what we've been encouraged and told it would be best for us to do. So here's the questions as we come to this end of serving the Lord. It's pretty simple, and I'm talking to church members and guests alike. alike. So for the church members, are you serving the Lord? I mean, it's a simple question. Are you serving God? Serving and setting are not the same thing. Presence is important, but serving is what we're speaking of. Are you serving him here, in his church, in your church? Are you serving through your church? And what if you're not a member of this church? Then the answer, the question is just shifted a bit. The church you are a member of, are you serving through that church? And if the answer is yes, you're serving through his church, you're serving faithfully, then yes, it's not a badge that you can declare and go, hey, look at me, look how great I am. You kind of lose points for that, so don't do that. But if you're serving here within the church, more than just giving an offering and showing up, then great. Thank you. But there's follow-up questions. Are you serving with gladness or with an attitude? 
Are you serving with genuineness? For God's glory alone, not your brand, not our brand. I mean, you don't serve First Baptist Church. You serve the Lord. You serve the Lord through what we have happening here at First Baptist Church, but we don't serve the Lord through First Baptist Church so we can promote online how great First Baptist Church is. There's far too many Christians out there that are nothing more than brand managers for their local body, whether it's, hey, our church is the greatest church that God has ever given. Well, that's probably not true. Every church has a shelf life, and God provides it for a season. We must be obedient during this season. To not get people to love our church, but to love our Lord. Are you serving with genuineness? And then, are you serving with gratefulness? Do you appreciate the privilege to be able to do so? Well, if, you, if the answers are yes to those, then amen, keep going, press on. God bless you. Can we expand that tribe a bit? We need more. But what if the answer is no? Then here's the answer to the no. Repent. Well, you don't understand, Pastor. I don't have time. You don't understand. I don't care. I mean, I really, I mean, you have 24 hours a day. I have 24 hours a day. I know, yeah, but you're a professional Christian. I get it. But I don't get it. Because I didn't start serving the Lord just once they, after they ordained me. I didn't start serving the Lord after I started getting paid by the church. You serve the Lord with gladness, with genuineness, with gratefulness because of God's amazing grace. If the answer to am I serving is no, then repent. And let me just tell you what repent is, and I know we're about out of time, real quick. Repent is not saying, my bad, God. That's not repent. Repent is not saying, I'm really sorry, God. That's a start. But repent requires action. So, um, hi, Jordan. So let's just say you're representing sin. It's a great illustration. I don't know why. But let's say there's something I'm not doing. It's a sin of omission or a sin of commission. And, and God has revealed as I'm walking this way that I must stop, so I will stop. And he says, repent of that. It doesn't mean I just stop and say, my bad. It means I turn around. Oh, Nicole, how are you? shouldn't have called you guys up quite when I did. But nevertheless, it's a 180 to the other direction. Are you serving? No. Why? Why not? Well, when I get things in order, you'll never get that in order. You, you're not that good. You're never, you haven't got it in order by now. It's not going to get in order by your decision-making now. Anyway, it's a time of repentance. God, what would God do through a church? that repented of all that we have done under our own power or not done and said, oh God, oh God, make a joyful noise to the Lord. We will serve the Lord with gladness. We will. We must.